Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber. On today's podcast, we'll focus the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the critical game between the Cowboys and the Colts with Bob Kravitz from TheAthletic.com. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian has a weekly podcast called Rap Sheet and Friends. Be sure to check it out here on TuneIn. Ian, let's start with what happened last night in Denver. Dramatic comeback victory for the Browns. They've now won four of their last five games, still in playoff contention. Is momentum building for interim head coach Greg Williams to potentially keep this job? Well, he's going to get an interview, and that's one thing that we know from uh, really as soon as John Dorsey uh, made the move to fire Hugh Jackson. I think that was that was something they announced, and we all said, okay, you know, it's, it's fine, whatever. Of course, the interim gets an interview. But at the very least, this is a guy who has had more – this is ridiculous, but he's had more wins in six games than Hugh Jackson had in his entire uh, several years coaching the Browns, two-plus years. That's amazing. And he's a guy that players really play for. Is he going to get the head coaching job? You know, I'm not sure. My guess is probably not, just based on, you know, where I believe the search is headed and the fact that they'll likely bring in someone from the outside. But that doesn't mean he's not going to get any job. Like, he's doing such a good job with the Browns, he's actually kind of putting himself in as a possible candidate for other teams, which is, you know, kind of a cool thing for a guy who has been you know, rightfully so, but down and out in the league at various times in his career. Although, as you know, he says he gets a lot of letters trying to find out his availability for coaching. Who among us does not get those offers? (laughs) Baltimore beat Tampa Bay. The Ravens are now eight and six. They've won four out of five with Lamar Jackson as a starting quarterback. What does Joe Flacco's football future look like? Well, you know, my understanding is that uh, Joe Flacco is going to be on a new team next year. And, you know, not that he's necessarily played his last down in Baltimore. We've seen teams, you know, uh, deal with injuries, and especially if they're going to possibly make a playoff run, it is possible that they need another quarterback. But after this year, uh, he is expected to be on a different team. Certainly a possibility, uh, maybe remote, but a possibility they could trade him. Uh, He has a big contract, but it's not, you know, if the team views him as a starter, it's not crazy. You know, it's around what what Mike Glennon got and a little less than what uh, Sam Bradford got. So theoretically, the, the, you know, Ravens could trade him. But either way, at 16 plus million dollars, he's not going to be the backup. And, you know, what we have learned is that this is a team that is unbelievably moving forward with Lamar Jackson and, you know, finding a lot of success doing it. Taking you across the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. How about another former Super Bowl MVP? In fact, he achieved the feat twice. Eli Manning, is he going to be playing for the Giants next season? Well, today did not obviously not go well for Eli Manning, but, you know, the more he plays... And the more he kind of learns to thrive in Pat Shermer's offense, the better chance it is that he's on the team next year. And, you know, that's assuming that he wants to do it. Um, certainly retirement is something that's, uh, you know, he's he's up in age, uh, I believe in his late 30s. So, you know, assuming he wants to come back, he has been, you know, impressively building the case for coming back. And I could see a situation where he's the starter, they draft a quarterback high, and then, you know, Manning helps groom him. And based on the way he plays, I don't think anyone uh, would be upset about that right now. 
Ian, the Raiders lost again today on the road in Cincinnati. Silver and black now 3-11. and 11. That's just one of their many issues. Where are they going to be playing home games next year? Uh, nobody really knows, which is amazing. Uh, I can't remember too many situations like this. I mean, we know they have the Christmas, it's either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day uh, game, and that would be the last one. And for, you know, the storied history of Oakland football, that could be it. And they do have options. Uh, San Diego uh, is an option, which I know is something that would drive the Chargers crazy, but it is an option. Cal is an option. Uh, and then Santa Clara, maybe the most likely option. But right now, the city of Oakland is suing the Raiders. So I guess, you know, that could be something they would consider. But I talked to Mark Davis, the owner, about it early in the week. And that's, at the very least, not something he wants, which is to play in Oakland and then finance through revenues and rent the lawsuit against himself. Yeah, that would be odd, even for an NFL owner who has deep pockets. How about the upcoming vacancy that's actually already there for the GM role? There's only 32 of those jobs across the league, but how attractive is the Raiders situation, given that we know John Gruden has so much power? I would say it's somewhat attractive. Um, And, you know, it's... It is, it's not actually a GM job. Basically, they're going to call it like the top personnel executive. So whatever actual title that is, you know, I mean, the director of player personnel, whatever it is, um, executive, football executive, there's a lot of different things they could call, but it is not going to be a GM job, which means that all of the sort of young up and coming uh, GM candidates would probably not take it. So all the guys who kind of go around and interview every year, that would not be that their kind of job for them. So you'd see maybe a former GM who's a little up in age, maybe someone who knows Gruden well. You know, I would think it's someone at the least with a connection with him. So it's not that attractive, but it you know they got all those draft picks. So if you're not looking for sort of the glory of being a GM, at least you have some first rounders to play with. Three first-round picks coming up in the draft in the spring in Tennessee. Taking you across the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Finally, Ian, kudos to you. You broke the story this week about Carson Wentz' back injury. We know he's not going to play tonight against the Rams. What's the outlook for Wentz moving forward, short-term and long-term? Well, let's talk short-term first. Um, Everyone's in the fantasy playoffs. Everybody wants to know if he's going to play. Hard to imagine a scenario where he actually gets on the field for the rest of the 2018 season. I mean, I guess theoretically they exist. I just haven't found any yet. Uh, And especially if they go out and get eliminated uh, from playoff contention tonight by the Rams. I mean, there would be virtually, you know, almost no chance that Carson Wentz sees the field again. You know, they're not going to put him in harm's way if there's any chance of worsening the injury. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is, you know, it's going to be about a three-month recovery for the stress fracture in his back. Not a minor injury at all, but nothing just based on the nature of it that should affect him long-term. He doesn't need surgery. He just needs to basically rehab. And, you know, of course... That sort of leads to the questions about his future and, and injury being injury-prone. What I understand is that the Eagles are still very, very much committed to him as a QB of the future. You know, he's just dealt with a lot of stuff in his young career. Ian, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, thanks for having me. We continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Dolphins and Vikings with former Vikings linebacker Ben Lieber, sideline analyst for KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings Radio Network. 
Now let's recap Minnesota's comprehensive win over Miami, 41-17. Always a pleasure to talk Viking football with Ben Lieber, the former Vikings linebacker, sideline analyst for KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings radio network. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time. How different do you think the offensive approach was today after offensive coordinator John DeFilippo lost his job on Tuesday? Watching bits and pieces of the game, there certainly was a renewed commitment to the run. Vikings 40 rushes for 220 yards. Yeah, no, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable just the difference in the, the offensive approach. And it really was just simplistic. And I think that was the rumor through the course of the week, not only just because it was a short week and you couldn't really get into a, a really complicated offense, but the the offense needed to be simplified. And we got this word that DiFilippo, as, as smart and as creative as he is, I think he wanted to try to outcreate the opponent on almost every single play. And you, you sort of get away from the fact that sometimes you just got to rely on your players to make plays and, and to keep things simple so you allow your players to play fast. And that renewed uh, commitment to the run game that Mike Zimmer has been asking DiFilippo to do for many weeks, um, you know, and, and he never did it. Uh, happen today, and you see what can happen to the offense, and how it can open up the offense and take a little bit of pressure off of Kirk Cousins, and and the whole offense and the whole team performs a little bit better. So it was exactly, I think, what everybody was hoping was going to happen, and, and I really could not be happier uh, for for Kevin Stefanski because he's just one of these guys that everybody's been waiting to see what he can do. We all know that he's a he's a smart guy and is a very well liked guy, but you never know what's going to look like under the lights and under pressure, and he handled it uh, beautifully. Ben, beyond the stats, how would you sum up year one for Kirk Cousins in Minnesota today? The two touchdown passes negated in part by a pick six. Yeah, and you know the pick six is one of those plays where it's it's an immediate hot route. It's a it's like a smoke screen out to the side, and you know you're supposed to sell it with your eyes a little bit going forward, just to allow your lineman to get out uh, to the left side, and then just throw it because you just expect that. Diggs is going to take a step or two back behind the line of scrimmage and take one and catch it and, and run upfield. And and uh, Fitzpatrick did a good job just of recognizing and jumping the route. So it was a timing play. You would love that. You would love to see Kirk sort of look over as he's going to ready to throw it to see color and not throw the football. But I don't really put that one uh, on him as much because that's such a timing route. Um, but as as overall in the season, he started the season really well and. They were putting points on the board, and he looked like he was he was doing everything right. And you saw the accuracy, you saw the downfield threat. And then in the middle of the season, I think when the offense started to lose its grip, lose its rhythm, um, you saw his play suffer. And, and he and the whole offense sort of regressed, um, which is, again, the reason why I think DiFilippo got fired and, and let go. So he... He's had a pretty good year numbers-wise. Um, he's not held on the football very well. His, his turnovers are a little worrisome. But I think he, he still has everything that you're looking for in a, as a quarterback. And I do think that he's, he's just like a lot of quarterbacks where you find a, a complimentary run game and you take a little bit of pressure off of him. I think that's when he can really thrive. So I'm excited to see sort of this last late chapter in the season to see how he can do uh, under Stefanski. We are chatting with Ben Lieber, sideline analyst for KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings radio network. Ben, a year ago, this Viking defense was so impressive in just about every phase of the game. What's the state of the D heading down the stretch? They gave up less than 275 yards of total offense to the Dolphins today. 
Yeah, and you know, one one seventy five yard run to start the beginning of the second half really uh, hurt those stats too. They were playing really good. Um, you know, it's been an up and up and down year for the defense. Even though stats wise, they look like they're they're one of the better defenses in the league. Um, they have played a little inconsistent. They've had a number of injuries in the back end of the defense that I think have shuffled things around. Mike Hughes, who was sort of a budding star before our, our eyes as a rookie, goes down with an ACL tear, and then. You've had little nicks and dings from Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes and Holden Hills, another rookie that's come in and who's very talented, but, you know, he's a rookie and he's got to learn the ropes and he's had some mistakes. And um, so uh, that coupled with Everson Griffin being off the field because of his personal issues and uh, and some guys having to move around and you saw Anthony Barr out for a couple of games. So there's, there's just been a lot of injuries and there's no continuity. But I, I think with this defense, they are – starting to peak and find their flow at the right point in the season. Um, you know, Mike Zimmer even admitted, hey, I, I was t- I was making things a little too complicated early in the season. I thought I could pick up right where we left off uh, from the playoffs last year and just run that same defense. And he realized that, all right, maybe i gotta, I got to take it a little more slow this year, keep it simple again, allow our guys to play fast, and build some confidence as the season goes along. And that's really what he had to do, revamp his, his own mentality. And really, since then, the defense has played much better. Finally, Chicago, as you well know, wrapped up the division with the win over Green Bay. So if Minnesota's going to make an impact as a wild card in the postseason, the majority of the work presumably on the road. How important would Dalvin Cook being able to maintain what he did today, beat in that effort. He looked like the old Dalvin Cook, 136 rushing yards and a pair of touchdowns. Yeah, he looked amazing. And, you know, I just like the uh, the approach that Stefanski had. And it's a little bit of like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to compare him to Adrian Peterson in the way that he runs, but I think it's similar in how you approach them in the run game. You know, Adrian hated taking the handoffs out of shotgun. You know, he wanted to be eight, nine yards deep in a dot behind the quarterback, which is under center, and get a full head of steam and see the whole offense and defense and everything, all the creases and all the holes sort of develop in front of him while he's getting ready going down going downhill. And I think that was a big difference for Cook today was he was able to do that. And he was able to go eight yards deep and run downhill and make certain cuts and make guys miss and spin off tacklers and bounce things to the outside. If they can do that, he's, he's going to be the most important piece to this offense because you allow to chew up clock, you allow to pick up first downs, you allow the defense to take their rest and their breaks on the sidelines, and you, again, you allow to take some of the pressure off of Kirk Cousins, not feel like he's got to make every throw and every right decision. Um, and there, there have been opposing players around the league that says, let's say Kirk Cousins is one of the best play-action quarterbacks in the game. So that all, as we know, go, go hand-in-hand as well. Ben, we know you have a long broadcast day, so we appreciate you giving us a few minutes again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, guys, no problem. Anytime. Next on NFL First and Goal, the podcast, let's focus on the game between the Colts and the Cowboys with Bob Kravitz of TheAthletic.com. Now let's recap the Colts' shutout victory over the Cowboys, 23-0 with Bob Kravitz, who's been covering the Colts for decades in Indy, follows great work on TheAthletic.com. Bob, I appreciate you taking the time. So many positives to focus on for the Colts. What stood out to you today in that comprehensive win? Well, the the fact that Andrew Luck threw for just 192 yards and they cruised to a to a victory. I mean, this team, uh, by and large, is needed for Andrew to be, um, you know, a special 
week after week in order to win football games. And yet, this was a game when, uh, you know, they did to Dallas what uh, Dallas ordinarily does to, to its opponents. They ran the football. They uh, played great defense, special teams. They got a blocked field goal. So, they, you know, they played. Uh, the Colts have always been known as a finesse team, but they they played uh, a completely different style of, uh, of game today and uh, were very successful, obviously. And, Bob, how about the juxtaposition at the wide receiver position? We know what Amari Cooper has meant to Dallas since coming over in the trade from Oakland, but T.Y. Hilton, despite being banged up, able to play again today and had another big effort. Yeah, he was terrific. He's been he's been really good these last couple of weeks. And, uh, I think he's just you know sort of reminding people just you know how good a receiver he really is. He he did not know up until you know just an hour or two before the game whether he was going to go, and uh, he gave it a shot. And he played extremely well. You know, it wasn't a day when they needed him to be uh, extraordinary the way he was uh, uh, last week in Houston, but. Uh, you know he played well. Uh, you know the running, the offensive line was as good as it's been. Um, you know, especially in the running game. We're spotlighting the Colts, who are getting hot at the right time. A shutout victory over Dallas. Bob Kravitz of TheAthletic.com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Bob, from a macro perspective, how has Frank Reich been able to revamp this offense so quickly in year one on the sideline? Well, you know, it's been remarkable because you now they started one at five, and now they want seven out of eight. And uh, you know, I think Frank has been really, really good in, in terms of uh, you know the style of offense they want to run. Um, he's opened it up quite a bit. The, the ball is getting out of Andrew Luck's hands a lot quicker. Uh, Andrew obviously isn't taking the beating that he has in past years, and a lot of that is part of that is the the you know the the way they're playing offensively and part of that is the fact they finally have an offensive line um so uh you know there was no panic they went one they were one in five they're beating themselves by and large and they just kept uh you know kept with it and uh now they're in a position where they have a chance to make uh make the postseason depending they might need a little bit of help but uh i have a feeling this is going to come down to week uh, 17 in nashville against tennessee Titans. Bob, a final thought on Andrew Luck. You've seen every significant down he's played since he came to Indianapolis. Now he's fully healthy, and you referenced this improved offensive line. Are we seeing vintage Luck again this year? We are, especially in the, the you know the, the first couple of games. I thought that uh, he wasn't really letting it go. Um, you know, there were some games where uh, there's a lot of dink and dunk uh, to the offense, but uh, in, in really the last I don't know seven, eight games, nine games, he's been uh, he's been vintage Andrew Luck. He's been the guy that we saw here from 2012 to 2014 when they won 11 games each of those three seasons and made the made the playoffs um he's uh he's uh, he's back to where he was and i think he's got a chance to be even better now that he's got a supporting cast bob as always we appreciate the information thanks so much for taking the time to join us again on the nfl on tune in okay thank you as we continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's focus on the divisional matchup between the Packers and the Bears with Tom Thayer, game analyst for WBBM News Radio, 780 in Chicago, and the Bears Radio Network. 
Now let's recap. Chicago's victory over Green Bay, 24-17. The Bears clinched their first division championship since 2010. Always a pleasure to chat with a Super Bowl champion. It's top there. Game analyst for WBBM News Radio 780 in Chicago and the Bears Radio Network. Tom, let's go back to training camp. Did you have any sense that Matt Nagy would have this kind of instant impact year one in Chicago? The Bears go from worst to first to win the division. Uh, I don't think you had any indication that they were going to go in there and compete for the division crown after the season that Minnesota had last year, after the type of quarterback Aaron Rodgers is. And the uh, thought of the improvement of Detroit and how bad of a season the Chicago Bears had last year. But everything Matt Nagy has ever said, he's at the podium, he's delivered onto the field. Whether it's the preseason preparations throughout OTAs in the preseason, and then in the early signs of life at the beginning of the regular season. I think the belief started to pick up as they, you know, got through a couple games throughout the regular season. And then a lot of confidence started to build in the locker room, and you could see the possibility of it. But from the beginning of time when Matt Nagy was first hired, I don't think they saw the Bears competing for the division championship. Tom, from a standpoint of X's and O's, and we don't have to get too sophisticated, but we're hearing nationally that everything has changed for Mitchell Trubisky this year because of the way he's been able to interact and learn from Matt Nagy. If we're just talking about how the schemes have come together, fundamentally, how is this offense different? Oh, gosh. You know, they went from an I-formation offense with two tight ends and two wide receivers to an RPO offense. Uh, versatility up and down the line of scrimmage formations that maybe are too number for their, your next opponent to prepare for. And then he kind of puts question marks in your head because last week he brought in four defensive linemen and, a, and an offensive tackle on one offensive formation. Today he used the T formation. Today he used the Wildcat with Mitchell Trubisky split out wide with, with the T formation in the backfield with three running backs. So he gives you a lot to prepare for. Yeah, there are some consistencies in the offense, but there's always six or eight different type of formation. Now you've got to kind of guess um, what you can do defensively if he puts a formation that you're not prepared for. And I think the creativity is really excited the locker room because nobody is exempt from being involved in the offensive game plan, and that, that includes every defensive player. And rather than creating monotony he breaks up the monotony with everybody all hands on deck when you're talking about the offense the bears clinched the division title today with a win at home over the packers after green bay had rattled off eight consecutive wins in chicago we're breaking it down with tom thayer game analyst for the bears radio network tom a few years ago Jordan Howard was a major surprise, a fifth-round pick out of Indiana as a rookie, wound up as the second-leading rusher in all of football. Slow start this year, but he had 100 yards on the ground last week in the Sunday night win against the Rams. Another touchdown today. How important is it to get Howard going as this team gears up for the postseason? You know, you know, it's really not about getting him going. He's always had the capabilities of, of carrying a bulk of the load uh, on the, in terms of the running game. However, Matt Nagy said that he doesn't believe, he's not a guy that has a one-man show. So last year there was kind of an unimaginative offense that they went through Jordan Howard, they overworked Tariq Cohen, they did not include the tight end, and they got very limited 
uh, support out of the wide receiver position. Matt Nagy changed all that. He used the versatility in the running threat of Mitchell Trubisky. He kind of game plans according to the, what the vulnerabilities are of the opponent. So that if that means Taylor Gabriel is going to get the ball along with Allen Robinson and Trey Burton and Jordan Howard gets five, ten touches, five or ten touches, then so be it. However, I really admire the perseverance of Jordan Howard because he was not a complainer in the locker room about his lack of involvement because Matt always says, Jordan, your time is going to come. When we need you the most, you're going to have to have a bulk of the carries. You're going to have to be the physical presence in our running game. So in the combination of last week's game against the Rams, when you play against the great Aaron Donald and Adama Sue and try to keep their offense off the field, he did everything that was asked of him in that game. Today, at the beginning of the game, to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field, he got a majority of the carries, and he got the first touchdown of the game. And as field conditions deteriorate and you get ready for the playoffs and you need that running back that's willing or has the ability to carry it 20 or 30 times in a game, Jordan is prepared to do that. But when you have Tariq Cohen, you have to use him in the backfield. When you have the other weapons that I mentioned, you have to be able to use them all. And then you have the run threat of Mitchell Trubisky, which puts a lot of paranoia in your opponent. Matt Nagy is willing to use that also. So I I just like the confidence that Matt Nagy has always instilled in the supporting cast and, and makes it known when we need you the most, your number will be called. Tom Thayer, Bears Radio Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Tom, you are a Super Bowl champion, part of the legendary 85 Bears. Whenever the Bears play on TV this year, it's time to queue up the NFL Films video. We're seeing The Fridge and Singletary and Dent. Do you think it's fair at all to compare this year's defense to that defense? I do see the one commonality in terms of the ability to create turnovers. Yeah, you know, that is, that's the commonality, the, the ability for the defensive backs to create, you know, get the interceptions, Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd and Akeem Hicks to create fumbles, turnovers. Uh, we, we, we are schemed differently. Our defense, we relied on the 46 defense to take advantage of our opponent. And Vic Fangio is a very good defensive coordinator. And he, he, he has a variety of uses for all the talent. Nobody's going to be. So it's tough to prepare for. Tom, final question. Is this team built to have an impact in the postseason? Uh, I think in the future they are. I don't know how much of an impact they'll have immediately. If we can, you know, Eddie Jackson twisted his ankle today. Um, Aaron Lynch uh, hurt his elbow today. So if you go in with a healthy supporting cast, I, I think um, with the threat of Mitchell Trubisky and his willingness to run the ball, that's always going to be the threat. But I still think this team is a year away from going you know, deeper into the postseason. But now when you win the division, next year your schedule is going to be harder than it was this year. Tom, thanks so much for joining us on a very special day in Chicago. Congratulations on the division win. We appreciate you taking the time to join us once more on First and Goal on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We roll on on NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Let's take you around the league with Jason Cole, editor-in-chief of Fansided.com. Let's take you around the league with a good friend of the NFL on TuneIn. It's Jason Cole, editor-in-chief, Fansided.com. Jason, let's start with Chicago. 
Is it fair to assert that based on their defense, this team could be more than one and done in the postseason as division champs? Yeah, I mean, I just want to have some optimism, especially with that kind of defense and the way the defense plays in the playoffs. And, you know, look at what we saw tonight. I mean, Pittsburgh doesn't have that good of defense, but they were able to keep New England under control today. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is a legitimate team. I mean, I think Khalil Mack adds, you know, stirs the drink for everything else and makes everybody else a lot better on that Chicago Bears defense. So I like their chances. Now, I'm not going to take the Green Bay game by itself as an indication because Green Bay is not very good right now. But if you take the combination of Green Bay and what they did to the Rams a week before, um, they got great shots. The one exception you ask is, okay, is this, is this defense good enough to travel and win in a place like Los Angeles against the Rams or New Orleans against the Saints, or in some ways both? Jason Cole is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's focus on the Green Bay perspective. For the second consecutive year, Aaron Rodgers will not be going to the postseason. I don't think the names are that important right now, but stylistically, what kind of head coach do you think the Packers will be targeting? Well, it's got me an offensive guy who can take advantage of what they have, and I would think that it's more of a veteran guy. I mean, in the perfect world, if I'm them, they're going after Josh McDaniels. I just don't think they're going to pay enough. And there's a weird thing here that McDaniels believes that his system is not dependent on a quarterback. So if he was to go to Green Bay, would this be giving in on what he asserts is his identity, which is he can create a system that's quarterback agnostic. And that's where if I'm, I think it becomes a little dicier. Then the question after that is, is a guy like John Harbaugh available? Uh, and because you'd want to have a veteran coach, who, he's not necessarily an offensive guy, but he's a veteran presence. And can you get him if he's available? Because I think there are going to be a number of teams that would want him, such as Cleveland, such as you know Tampa Bay, if they you know assuming they fired Dirk Cutter. And after that, boy, there ain't a lot out there. I mean, there's not you know there's not just this you know large group of coaches who you say. Yeah, no doubt. I want that guy as my next hire. You know, Lincoln Riley, people talk about, oh, yeah, look at how inventive he is. He's never coached in the NFL before. He's never known what it's like to run an NFL program and, you know, hire NFL assistant coaches. And uh, that to me is a long shot, especially, again, you have an older quarterback who you want to make the most out of his last few years. This is a tough fit. Taking you across the league with Jason Cole, editor-in-chief of Fansided.com. Jason, conventional wisdom says, well, New England gets to the postseason, they're going to be just fine. However, they lost again on the road today in Pittsburgh. There's a real possibility they will only be the three seed, meaning they're going to have to play on wild card weekend without a bye. I'm just running through scenarios. How much confidence do you have in the Patriots moving forward? Not a lot. I mean, they scored their one touchdown tonight was on a badly blown coverage. I mean, that was a that was all player mistake because three guys went without him and nobody went with Hogan, right? Um, that just doesn't happen very much. And if that's the only points that you produced, and look at Gronkowski, I mean, Gronk is terrible right now. He can't run. Like, uh, they should. They should just say over the next two weeks, we're going to do whatever it takes to get him healthy. 
so that he can run a little bit um, and hope that we can get him through the playoffs and maybe just not even play him against the Bills and the Jets and whatever risk that goes with that. But they got to win those games to maintain the three seed or hope that they can get back into the running for the two seed. So I don't like this team from that perspective. I don't like this team defensively. I mean, look, I think they're smart defensively. I think they've got good people in the secondary. But offensively, they're they're not good. They're not. I mean, because this is not a good Pittsburgh team that they just went up against. And yeah, they put up some points against uh, you know Miami the week before. But this was really telling, especially with how Gronkowski plays. Cowboys came to Indy with loads of momentum, having won five consecutive games, looking to wrap up the division title with a victory, and they didn't come close. They got shut out. They lost twenty three nothing. Are you concerned if you're a Cowboy fan? This is more than aberration. Well, yeah, because you're going on the road against a, a good team. And this is a playoff caliber team in Indy, whether they make it or not. I mean, because that last spot for the wild card is, is going to be tough um, with them in Baltimore. So they're going to need a little bit of help here. But, you know, that's, you know, I think their defense was okay and ultimately got worn out a little bit as the, as the game went on. But, the reality of what we saw here with Dallas is they're really just a home field team right now when playing against good teams. They are not a good team for travel. So, yeah, I give them a chance to win in a playoff atmosphere at home. They're not good enough on the road. Baltimore now has won four of five games with Lamar Jackson as the starter, taking care of Tampa Bay 20-12. to Jason, where is Joe Flacco going to be playing next season? Uh, anywhere but Baltimore. All right. How about Jacksonville, potentially? Well, I mean, they're going to be in the running. I mean, Foles is probably going to be out on the market because he's going to be, he's scheduled to make $20 million base salary next year. They're not keeping him on that. Now, there's a chance that Foles stays in Philly because he likes Philly. He may redo the contract. But that's a different, that's a different issue. Flacco's going to be out there. Teddy Bridgewater's going to be out there. Um, I would say, you know, Baltimore is a good place. Um, Washington could end up being uh, – I'm sorry, Jacksonville's a good place. Washington is a possibility because I don't know how soon Alex Smith is going to be healthy, if ever. Uh, you've got – you know, I mean, look, San Francisco is okay. San Francisco is okay with what they have. But, you know, I'd have to think through it. There are four or five teams that are going to need quarterbacks. Um you know, when it's all when it's all said and done, but Jacksonville jumps right off the page as a team that would say, Yeah, I mean, you could say Miami might want to take a shot with him or depending on what Tampa decides it wants to do. If you know, if Jason Light is no longer the general manager there, there's a very good chance that James Winston won't be there. Jason, because you've been generous with your time, I'll let you go with one more thought on Sunday night football. Clearly, as we watch the game on NBC and listen here on the NFL on TuneIn with Westwood One's coverage, a lot of attention is going to be paid to what Nick Foles does. And you'll recall a year ago he came off the bench to win that game in L.A. after Carson Wentz went down with the torn ACL. What is your perspective uh-huh. on Jared Goff? Because he had a disaster of a game last week on Sunday Night Football in Chicago. The week before, Jason, he was wobbly in Detroit. Do you have any questions about Goff down the stretch? No, I, I know what Goff is. He doesn't like people. He doesn't like a lot of bodies around him, which you know that's not unusual for quarterbacks. But I think it's a particular issue for for him um, because he's not the biggest guy in the world. I mean, he's not. 
This is a guy who has been trained in playing seven-on-seven football. And when Sean McVay can turn this into seven-on-seven football, which is, you know, nobody gets touched, I get rid of the ball faster than they can get to me, and all that kind of stuff, he's great. He's a fantastic player. He's one of the most accurate players you'll ever see. Throws a pretty ball, has kind of a Marino release, has a, has a confidence about him that's like Marino. I love to see it. I love watching him. But because he's not the biggest guy in the world, when you get bodies around him, he's uncomfortable. And he never, you know, like he's never really had to deal with this because in high school he got rid of the ball pretty quickly. And in college he played in this sort of funky system where, you know, they, they got rid of the ball really quickly. And they, again, played seven-on-seven football. And for most of the early, for most of the last season and the early part of this season, it was seven-on-seven football. Now this time of the year, it gets to be a little bit more like big boy football. And you got to play teams like Chicago. And you got to play teams like Dallas. And that's not his cup of tea. Hot tea always provided by Jason Cole, editor-in-chief of Fansided.com. Jason, we appreciate the time and the information. Thanks for joining us again today. All right. Take care. Now let's celebrate individual achievement with the Fantasy Football Playoffs. Let's huddle up for the NFL First and Goal Fantasy Fix. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our fantasy analyst, Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Let's recap the early games. Who were the fantasy heroes that stood out? I tell you, it's one of those weeks where if you had the guts, if you thought you could double down on your earlier bet of Derrick Henry, that's the one that comes at you, going up over 30 touches on the day, one that just uh, tells you that no matter what the rest of the season look like, you can always uh, find your way back into the winner's circle. So that huge game. You look at Marlon Mack, another guy that workload certainly was going to be there, but the, the type of production against Dallas coming up with a 139, two-touchdown game all the way up to 25 fantasy points. I think a little bit beyond what anybody could have expected there. You go back to Thursday night, you have the Mike Williams game, people betting with a big bet there. Uh, and, and then you go a little bit deeper. You know, Mike Evans, 121, doesn't score, uh, but you, you move the ball well uh, against a Baltimore team that's been pretty stingy uh, and get a little love there. And then anytime you can include, you know, a Kenny Galladay, 146 with the total here in a top spot against Buffalo, uh, certainly some surprises and getting people into the winner's circle that, well, probably weren't expecting such. Talking fantasy football with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. You referenced Mike Evans. It was Tampa Bay losing to Baltimore. Mixed bag statistically for Lamar Jackson, but Mike, how important are his rushing yards in fantasy football? Absolutely huge. I mean, that's the one thing you've been able to to set, right? You you look at the week in, week out, you go for those huge yardage, uh, what, five straight weeks with at least 67. You you nearly get to that 100 100 rushing bonus today. I think people lamenting uh, that remaining five yards. They didn't, but on the quarterback battle, he's going to finish most likely as a top 10 quarterback again uh, for the week of, Pretty impressive run, uh, and now kind of changing the complexion where we're seeing more in the rushing totals. Josh Allen, once again, didn't have a huge yardage day, but gave you that touchdown, ends up finishing with, with a big day as well. So changing the complexion of how we have to look at quarterbacks again. Let's go from the positive to the negative. Who were the biggest underachievers? 
Uh, I think uh, when we get into it, you, you look at another uh, game for Dak Prescott and, and a marquee matchup uh, against Indianapolis. Uh, didn't expect a monster day from him, but he'd struggled with his own defense all season long and came up small. Uh, if you trusted him for your fantasy playoff purposes, you go uh, to Leonard Fournette with his 64 total yards against Washington. They were good against the run early this season. Things up. Something you thought you'd get a little bit of love. No, nothing doing today. Uh, he comes up with a, a big bust operation for you as you go. Saquon Barkley finishing with just 56 total yards and a dud of a game in the rain. Uh, definitely doesn't get the reputation of being a mutter uh, as we run with this one. So, hey, anytime you can get a Seinfeld reference, say, you have to you know, take Mike, it. You know? his, his mother was a mutter. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And then Calvin Ridley, everybody got to play. Everybody got to win. Uh, he finishes with just 42 yards. Uh, so it gives you a, a, a big swift kick. Uh, lump of coal for your holiday season. If we're dropping contemporary references from Seidfeld, we have to be talking yeah. fantasy football with our good friend Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, let's shift our attention to what's coming up. Sunday night football, Rams and Eagles. What's the fantasy outlook for Nick Foles filling in for Carson Wentz tonight? Well, I have to believe that for for Foles, uh, the importance of dump-offs to uh, getting Sproles involved and and trying to figure out how to make Golden Tate part of the offense. He did it two weeks ago, right back to invisibility last week with the one-catch seven yards. It's going to be important to get that short underneath passing route and and get things moving here. You know, it's going to be tough sledding for Alshon Jeffrey on the edge, more of a keep to leave. So uh, I think they're going to really need to stick there and commit to, to the run game and not abandon uh, things with Adams. On, on the other side, you look at the Rams coming off the, the debacle against Chicago where at times golf looked like he was seeing a 12th man running from behind uh, and an awful skittish at times during that process. Uh, should be a, a get healthy a bit here against the beleaguered Philadelphia secondary. Look for the the big plays to come off the bat. Uh, I'm still curious to see for Todd Gurley what that touch count is because the last month or so uh, hasn't been sitting there with those big you know 20 plus touch type games. I think they're trying to keep them fresh and ready for the playoff run. Just make sure they take care of business first. Let's wrap it up with Monday Night Football. Cam Newton, an inconsistent season. We don't know how fully healthy he is with the shoulder issue. How much fantasy value does he have in prime time tomorrow against the Saints? Still have him as a lower end number one quarterback. I had him, I think, as the ninth quarterback for the for the week. Uh, looking for a, a DJ Moore as a as a number number two wide receiver for you there. Christian McCaffrey with the little dump offs and the yak for him is going to be key to see how they can play this thing. Uh, I like them. Uh, this is one where I think they can jump up and uh, and sting the Saints here. And I'm not a fan of the way the schedule works. The best two out of three uh, here in the final three weeks of the season. But uh, it, as they say, is what it is. One of your favorite phrases, I know. Thank you. Uh, for the Saints, you know, <laughs> through Reason Company, still trying to find that number two wide receiver or number two option behind Michael Thomas, but an awful lot, I think, uh, this week of Alvin Kamara is going to be the key, and you can get after that 
that uh, Carolina secondary being susceptible to giving up the big plays. Now it's just a function of figuring out whether Traquan Smith rises from the ashes to come back with a big effort because he's been quiet for a few weeks. Mike, we really appreciate your availability and you taking the time, and we'll come full circle with a Seinfeld observation. Your insights are real, and they're spectacular. Thanks, buddy. No, I appreciate that. But now I can be Sidra for the rest of the day. Yeah. Not too well, bad. I peaked circa 1997. I'm doing my best today. Thank you, Michael. Be good, brother. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. For that, we're pleased to be joined by our good friends Chuck Nice and Dr. Eric Goff. Guys, the Jags lost to the Redskins, but Jacksonville shined on special team. E equals MC squared for the TD. Fellas, take us through it. There you go. Uh, it looks as though um, it looks as though uh, the Jacksonville might have had a little bit of help from Washington on that play. Doctor Eric Goff, why don't you tell us what's going on? Well, this play went from boom to blur to baffling. Washington's Tress Way punted the ball, and the collision between his shoe and the ball lasted less than ten milliseconds, with an average force of about a quarter ton. But for a very short time interval, the maximum force reached nearly a ton. The punt's hang time was 4.3 seconds. D.D. Westbrook fielded the punt near the Jacksonville 26-yard line. He had space in front and a wall of blocking that allowed him to sprint down the right sideline. His top speed was 21.9 miles per hour. Though that's not close to Usain Bolt's record speed of 27.8 miles per hour. A speed of 22 miles per hour in the NFL is elite. A lineman running 15 miles per hour covers 22 feet per second. Westbrook's 22 miles per hour covers 32 feet per second. The lineman lost 10 feet on Westbrook each second, which is why blocking angles are so important. The most baffling part of the play happened as Westbrook crossed the Washington 20-yard line. Washington's Byron Marshall appeared to block Jacksonville's Rashad Green at the 14-yard line. Chuck, I've looked at the video several times, and I can't figure out what Marshall was doing. Yeah, I've heard of friendly fire, but never friendly blocking. A weird, a weird turn of events because he might have been able to tackle him. Instead, he actually may have allowed him to score. There you go, Brian. That's how it went down, man. Uh, I don't know what to say. Well, you always have something to say because you're wordsmith. Help me with the pronunciation of this mascot from Jacksonville. Chuck, is it Jaguar, like Star Wars, or Jagwire? Well, I'm going to go with the uh, British uh, enunciation and Jaguar because it just sounds so cool. How about this? You guys get more downloads, you'll be driving a Jaguar. My Yugo is waiting. I'll be driving it home after the program. Thank you, fellas. We'll talk to you next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.